I'm Les Sillers, and this is Double Take. Just a quick warning before we start. This episode involves gender identity, sexual assault, and controversial school curricula. Parents may want to check it out before allowing children to listen. Okay, let's get started. In 2015, Monica Gill was teaching a U.S. history class at Loudoun County High School in Leesburg, Virginia. The town is about 30 miles west of Washington, D.C. She showed the students a documentary about the government's response to the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. Some of the students were really upset. Those terrorists weren't really Muslims, one girl said. They can't call themselves Muslims. Then the discussion took a strange turn. One young man said, well, if they're not Muslims, then Bruce Jenner isn't a woman. Not so many years earlier, the students would have been like, what? But in 2015, everybody got it. Our culture takes it for granted now. Individuals can define their own identities on their own terms. From there, Monica says, the discussion became pretty abstract. Where does truth come from? Do definitions and words matter? When that class was ending, I just sort of closed everything off by saying to everybody, look, you know, the most important thing for you to get out of today is that you need to be consistent in your thinking and that no matter what, I love you. For one female student, a light bulb went on. She was a thin, athletic girl with a very short haircut. She had been diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Some days she wore a bow tie and a suit to school. Other days she wore red lipstick and a dress. Monica says that she never knew which girl would show up. She thinks the girl was thinking about switching genders, becoming a boy. But the girl wasn't sure what to do. The student came up after class. Monica remembers it clearly. She hugged me for probably one of the longest hugs I've ever had from a student and was crying. Monica says it must have been tough for that student, but the class helped the girl realize an important truth, that some things are fixed, some things can't change. And after that, she made the decision that she was female, but that she was gay, and she never went through the transition process. To be clear, Monica does not think that sexual orientation, who you're attracted to, is a fixed part of your identity. As a Christian, she says that being male or female is unchangeable. It's how God made you. But Monica says that this girl was realizing that being female was not something you can take on and off like a dress. That raw moment between Monica and that student has stuck with her. That conversation and that hug are a big part of why she loves teaching. And it helps explain why she joined a lawsuit last year against her own school district, Loudoun County Public Schools. Loudoun County Public Schools has a $1.5 billion budget for 81,000 students. Loudoun County itself is also a flashpoint for a national debate, more of a war really, about gender, race, and speech in public schools. Monica Gill is in the middle of it. She wants to keep the ability to have those meaningful discussions as a teacher, conversations about things that matter, about truth. But in her district, that's getting harder, a lot harder. Today, a story about a Christian public school teacher trying to tell the truth in the classroom amid a dumpster fire of controversy, 
critical race theory ideology, and identity politics in schools. Our correspondent Emma Purley will take it from here. Monica is a wife and mom. She's been a teacher for 26 years, and she loves her students. She makes coffee every morning so that when they walk into her classroom, it smells like home. There are colorful rugs on the floor. Red paint splotches with pink hearts above the door read, You are loved. She greets every student by name and asks them how their weekend was. She even remembers their birthdays. I really feel like my main mission is for those kids to know that they are loved unconditionally every year. To students who answer questions in class, Monica gives little pieces of paper stamped with hearts or animals. Some of the stamps say, good job, or you're terrific. At the end of the quarter, the students can turn in the stamped papers for bonus points. She gets quiet, introverted kids to raise their hands. But Monica is finding it more difficult to have truly open, honest conversations. For some topics, teachers are required to say certain things. And some subjects are out of bounds. It all started a few years ago. Teachers across Virginia have been concerned for a while now about districts that push controversial transgender policies and critical race theory, or CRT. But Loudoun County and Virginia's Department of Education were especially aggressive. The last, I think, two years have really been kind of the striking point of parents sort of looking at what's going on in public schools, not being pleased with curriculum in terms of what's being taught. Monica and her friend Tanner Cross, an elementary teacher at a Loudoun County school in Leesburg, began asking pointed questions. We certainly were comrades in the midst of this battle of what we were seeing in terms of an ideological push from our school board. This is Cross at a school board meeting last year. My name is Tanner Cross, and I'm speaking out of love for those who suffer with gender dysphoria. In 2019, Loudoun County Public Schools began an initiative to put more books into classrooms that taught equity, diversity, and inclusion. The collection was called the Diversity Library. Many of the books contained sexually explicit content. The board tied the initiative into a neat package with a bow and labeled it Diverse Young Adult Fiction. It took parents months to figure out what was going on. Then, shocked parents showed up at a school board meeting in October of 2020 to protest. This is a parent reading from Other Broken Things by C. Desir. We shouldn't, he starts, but I put my fingers against his lips to stop him. Then I go up on my tiptoes to kiss him. It's, been a it's really available in every ninth grade classroom at Monica's school. It's about a 17-year-old alcoholic girl in a sexual relationship with a 38-year-old man. It's been a really long time since I've kissed anyone sober. And the characters go a lot further. Some books describe teenagers in homosexual activity with adults. Others depict incest. Some parents, teachers, three school board members, and a librarian defended the material at that 2020 board meeting. They said young kids should be able to see themselves reflected in the books. They said it was important to read about pedophilia because it was, quote, culturally enriching. One school board member named Joy Maloney even compared the sexual content of the books to the Bible, saying that there were horrible stories of the same caliber in both. I strongly agree that context is very important in this discussion. I mean, go reference your Bible if you'd like that as 
something pulled out of context from there. Maloney also complained about a parent using profanity in the meeting. The parent was, at the time, reading from a book in the diversity library. Here's Monica at that same meeting. This is not dignity. This is disturbing. It's not diversity. It is indefensible. And it's not about censorship. It's about decorum. About 3,400 of these diversity books are available, from elementary schools to high schools. Children can just walk into certain classrooms and pick them up. One grandfather told the school board that a Loudoun County teacher informed him that his, quote, household beliefs were not a reason to censor the diversity initiative. I just don't understand why are we glorifying that and what, what is this desire to over-sexualize our children? The diversity library was part of a much larger campaign. At the start of the 2020 fall semester, Monica had to watch training videos along with her fellow teachers. The videos were about how to treat transgender students in the classroom and how to deal with her own white privilege. She was told that if she didn't watch the videos, she wouldn't be allowed to teach. Here's a snippet of one video called Microaggressions in the Classroom. Referring to students by the wrong pronouns, calling on men while ignoring women in class discussions, or calling only on white students and ignoring the students of color in your classroom. Teachers must not assume that their students are heterosexual. That suggests that only straight people are normal. The video said teachers had to be very cautious about these kinds of microaggressions. And most often, people who commit microaggressions think of themselves as well-intentioned, non-racist, non-sexist people. They do not realize that the underlying messages communicated by their actions or comments are hurtful to other people. What is a microaggression? The definition in the video is pretty vague. That's on purpose, according to Tyson Langhofer, a First Amendment lawyer with the Christian legal advocacy group ADF. Frankly, it's problematic also because it chills speech. It it intentionally chills speech because it tells people, watch what you say. If you say something that somebody else doesn't like, even unintended, you can be punished for that. Basically, the definition of a microaggression is vague so that people will always stay on their toes, unsure whether they will offend someone or not with what they say. Langhofer goes on to say that the definition of offensive is essentially anything that someone finds offensive, no matter what you meant. Monica adds that the training materials also promoted critical race theory. We'll just note here that this episode isn't the place for a full explanation of CRT. Some Christians like how it focuses attention on racism. Many other Christians, like Monica, believe it promotes a deeply unbiblical worldview. Parts of this story include what she personally experienced in the classroom and her concerns about how CRT impacts her ability to teach. She was worried. Word of school lessons promoting CRT had, by that time, spread to parents in Loudoun County. The school board superintendent, Scott Ziegler, told WUSA 9 that the school was not teaching critical race theory. Well, they weren't exactly. We use words like systemic racism. Uh, We use words like anti-racist, and that shares some vocabulary with critical race theory. It's not the same. We don't use it the same. But Monica was hearing kids tell each other to check their white privilege. I have personally witnessed um, kids specifically excluding each other because of their skin color and saying things like, well, you can't be a part of this conversation because you're not black. And 
you know, that's terrible. No student should be excluded from a conversation because of their skin color. She didn't say anything to the students. She couldn't. She was being monitored, as her teacher training videos made clear. So Monica did what she could. At the next training session, she asked how exactly she was supposed to deal with that kind of behavior. Why weren't the students being disciplined for excluding their peers? Racism is not going to solve the problem of racism. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is the ideology of critical race theory trickling in and actually creating um, a situation that inflames the issue of race rather than creating this sort of inclusive, diverse um, utopia that they're that they're pretending it's going to create. She didn't get any satisfactory answers at the training sessions, so she started speaking up at school board meetings that fall. But whenever Monica stood at the podium at a school board meeting or raised her hand at a training session, the responses she got were always vague. It was like school authorities were only letting her speak just to check a box. This is Double Take, and we'll be right back. So when we, we start thinking about moral courage, it's not just about the courage to be me. It's the courage to do the right thing. Jack Hay is president of Patrick Henry College in Purcellville, Virginia. It's a pretty chaotic culture right now in a lot of ways. And so one of the things that you often talk about is the need to develop moral courage in our students so that when they go into the world, uh, they're able to keep their equilibrium in turbulent times. So how does PHC do that? Yeah, you know, this idea of moral courage is such an important concept. First of all, you've got to determine what is moral. It's just not about learning the answers to 10 questions and checking a box. How, How does that get inside of me so it becomes my GPS for looking at everything? And then courage is the willingness to stand up and be counted when it's very possible that it's going to cost you something. You know, it doesn't take much to be courageous about something that where there's no cost. Patrick Henry College. Go to phc.edu to find out more. Jack, the heart of it, how race should or should not be taught in schools. Today, President Trump announced that he would be signing an executive order to create the 1776 Commission, which would promote a, quote, patriotic education. Private education and race, highlighting the discrimination and racism many black students say they face. That fall, controversies about CRT in schools were flaring up all over the country. Then another issue hit the news. Teachers were losing their jobs over not using preferred pronouns for transgender students. Monica started to worry about her own job. John Kluge, for example, was a popular music teacher at a high school in Brownsburg, Indiana. He refused to call students by their preferred pronouns. This is Kluge on Fox News. I wanted to focus on teaching the kids orchestra, on being able to reach out to them, and I have been able to, over the course of this year, um, cultivate friendly relationships with my students, including these transgender students of mine. In the fall of 2020, Kluge reached a religious accommodation with his high school. He would just use last names when referring to his students. But then some teachers and students started grumbling. So the school board revoked the agreement in the fall of 2021. It told him to follow the rules like everyone else, resign or be fired. So he resigned. Now he's suing the school district. 
The case that really caught Monica's attention involved Peter Vleming. He taught French in West Point High School in Virginia. He was fired in 2018 for refusing to use a student's preferred pronouns. From the Daily Signal. My uh, school administration said that uh, I basically had to abandon my beliefs, my belief that we're integral beings, and adopt a new ideology about who we are as human beings. In other words, transgender ideology. And I explained to my my administration that I, I couldn't do that. After he was fired, he sued his school. Monica found an article detailing his story. When I saw that article, I actually took it to one of my superiors and said, I'm very concerned about this. This could end up being me. She knew there was potential for backlash from her supervisors. But several years ago, she had seen how transgender ideology hurt her students. A girl in her class had been struggling with depression and anxiety. She was hospitalized for mental health issues. When she came back to school, she began to transition from a girl to a boy. We were asked to change her name um, from her given name to the new chosen name, which I did. Monica called her by her preferred new name, and everyone else at school affirmed her transition. But the girl spiraled down anyway. She kept her head down in school, wore baggy sweatpants every day, and she stopped participating in class discussions. The girl's whole body drooped. Gender transition didn't help, Monica thought. It made her worse. She was in pain, and she desperately needed help. And, um, you know, I don't... I don't know if she was getting the help that she needed, but I I could tell that she was in a lot of pain. Probably one of the more heartbreaking relationships that, that I had in my teaching career. So when the issue reappeared in 2020, Monica couldn't let it go. She tried to keep up the pressure on the school board, even though it felt like nothing was changing. I was very frustrated because I had, you know, I had spent any number of school board meetings speaking in front of the school board. I had written any number of letters and emails, and I literally got no responses from anyone. That's how it went all through the fall of 2020. For Monica, it had been a tough year. It was going to get tougher. Twenty twenty was tough, but we are still going to have our toughest and darkest days. An LA County official says hospitals are quote on the brink of catastrophe. It's like treading water from a hundred feet below the surface. As twenty twenty one began, the COVID nineteen pandemic was in full swing. People were tense. Debates raged over masks and vaccines. Monica was teaching from home, as Loudoun County had yet to reopen classrooms. And then in March, things escalated even further, spilling over into families' private lives. Parents who opposed diversity ideology discovered, much to their surprise, that they had been targeted by a private Facebook group. Ian Pryor is a Loudoun County parent who had written some articles opposing critical race theory. Here he is on Fox. It seemed like a threat to me. Did you take it that way? Sure. Right off the bat, there was a post in this this private group. They're called the Anti-Racist Parents of Loudoun County. We call them Chardonnay. It wasn't officially associated with Loudoun County schools, but it was started by Beth Bartz, a school board member at the time. 
five other school board members joined the group, as well as three members from the Board of Supervisors. But they put a post out there asking for people to help, you know, hack into anti-CRT websites, to redirect them to pro-CRT websites, engage in a mailing campaign to expose these people. And then what you had was all these people in the, um, in the group start listing names. So I found out from a reporter's inquiry that I was in the group twice. The first time Given I was in Loudon's the group Given Loudon's moneyed there. reputation, the group became known as the Chardonnay Antifa. Here's one targeted parent at a school board meeting in March of 2021. I was personally attacked. My name, my first name, my last name, where my son goes to school, who my husband is, where I live, and three pictures of me were all on that Facebook page. Anti-racist group members commented online that these parents should be investigated, that their anti-critical race theory websites should be infiltrated by hackers. They wanted to send postcards to our neighbors calling us racist and come to our homes with a megaphone and call us racist. The next board meeting was filled with outraged parents, like the one you just heard, and this one. Making lists is historically a way to chill speech and public debate. It is also a betrayal of your role as elected officials. Afterwards, some parents tried to recall the six board members involved in the group, but others took to the internet and it got really ugly. Some board members, such as Beth Bartz and Chairwoman Brenda Sheridan, received emailed death threats. The entire school board received an email saying, you people need to be arrested, tried, and then hung by the neck until you're dead. The police investigated some of the more alarming threats, but declined to file charges. The Chardonnay Antifa group was uncovered in March of 2021, around the same time as Virginia's Department of Education ordered school districts to develop supportive policies for transgender students. Virginia's governor at the time was Democrat Ralph Northam. The model policy for schools recommended, among many other things, that public schools treat the refusal to use preferred pronouns as, quote, discrimination, that schools give transgender students access to the bathrooms and locker rooms of the other sex, that schools hide students' gender requests and issues from parents who were, quote, not affirming, and that schools report unsupportive parents to the state's child protective services. The model policy prompted an uproar across the state at first. But then school districts in socially conservative areas of Virginia realized the state wasn't going to enforce the directive. It carried no penalties for school districts that didn't comply. Many of them basically ignored it, including the Chesapeake School Board, as the local Fox affiliate reported. There will not be an update to any policy here as only one board member motioned to move forward and update the transgender policy as mandated by law. The rest of the board said they do not plan on addressing it at this time. A lot not Monica's district. Loudoun County Public Schools released a proposal called Policy 8040. It didn't go quite as far as the state directive did, but the policy did require preferred pronoun use and allowed trans students to use the locker rooms and bathrooms of their choice. At a school board meeting on May 25, 2021, Monica's friend Tanner Cross tried once again to question the school board about its transgender policies. He went up to the podium wearing a green shirt and a white mask. He's been an educator since 2006, 
and he started teaching PE at a Loudoun County Elementary School in 2019. I love all of my students, but I will never lie to them regardless of the consequences. I'm a teacher, but I serve God first, and I will not affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa because it's against my religion, it's lying to a child, it's abuse to a child, and it's sinning against our God. The next day, Tuesday, Cross was back teaching at Leesburg Elementary. He played t-ball with his students during P.E. But the day after that, on Wednesday, the board placed him on administrative leave with pay, effective immediately. It banned him from school property, banned him from school board meetings, and started an investigation for supposedly disrupting the operations of Leesburg Elementary School. That same day, it was all over the news. This is from Fox. Last Friday, Tanner Cross was put on leave after expressing his religious beliefs at a school board meeting focused on proposed transgender school policies. Monica was in the middle of teaching her school day when her phone blew up. Her friends texted her, Did you see what happened to Tanner? She opened her laptop and saw the headlines. And that was the moment Monica realized that she had to do more. She just wasn't sure what. I was just like, this is everything that goes against what America is supposed to be. You know, he was a citizen and an employee and voicing his concerns about it, and they put him on leave. Cross fought back. With the help of ADF, he promptly sued the school board. A Loudoun County court reinstated him on June 8th. A suspended Loudoun County, Virginia public school teacher will be returning to the classroom. A judge issuing an injunction. Judge James Plowman said in his ruling that Cross's paid suspension violated his constitutional free speech rights. The school board appealed the case and it went to the Virginia Supreme Court. Meanwhile, the debate in Loudoun County over policy 8040 continued to heat up. About 250 people showed up and waited in line to speak at a school board meeting on June 22, 2021. Inside the building, Cross's supporters were booing the board members. Other parents supported Policy 8040. This audio is from the Washington Examiner. Hi, I'm back here today as a proud screaming parent of a young transgender son in our Loudoun County School. Today, instead of focusing on the hate that seems to be dripping off the followers of Jesus in their room, in this room, and from their kids in our schools, I wanted to take the time. Oh, wait. Eventually, the board ended public comment, despite a line of parents waiting to speak. And then the meeting descended into chaos. The board abruptly declared the meeting unlawful and walked out. John Tiggis, a former Air Force officer, refused to leave. Police tried to force him out of the building. Witnesses posted this video of him talking to the officers. I'm supposed to stand right here and so were 200 other people and be able to share with these people why they care about this county and the morals that this county is actually going to support. Tiggis was arrested for trespassing. He kept resisting while the officers put handcuffs on him. This is an unlawful arrest. I have a First As officers hauled Tiggis away, another parent was thrown to the ground and arrested. His name was Scott Smith. It turned out there was a lot more to Smith's story. Two weeks before this board meeting, in May, Smith's ninth-grade daughter had been raped in a girls' bathroom at Stonebridge High School by a 14-year-old boy wearing a skirt. 
pro-trans activist said that it wasn't a random encounter because the teens had met twice before in the girls' bathroom for consensual relations. But this was clearly an assault by a boy in a skirt in a girl's bathroom. Smith gave this interview to ABC7 News. We were notified on the phone that our daughter had been beat up in the girl's bathroom by a male. Nothing about sexual assault. His wife arrived first. When Smith arrived at the school soon afterwards, the officials wouldn't even let him into the building because he had no ID on him. He had a standoff with the security officer at the door. And then local police arrived and escorted the family off the property. The whole thing was handled poorly. The same day, school superintendent Scott Ziegler sent out a very brief email to the school board about the incident. It said, This afternoon, a female student alleged that a male student sexually assaulted her in the restroom. The LCSO is investigating the matter. Police eventually arrested the boy, but then released him with an ankle monitor pending an investigation. That's what happened to Smith's family right before he showed up at the school board meeting in June. Scott was there in the audience when Beth Bartz, the woman who instigated Chardonnay Antifa, asked the school board this question, and Superintendent Ziegler answered. Do we have assaults in our bathrooms or our locker rooms regularly? To my knowledge, we don't have any records of assaults occurring in our restrooms. The predator transgender student is, or person simply it does not exist. And I think it's, And when he uh, heard that, Smith was enraged. It looked to him like Ziegler was denying his daughter's assault to shield the proposed policy 8040 from criticism. You can't really hear what's going on in this audio, but basically, Smith got into a heated argument with a parent who told him his daughter was lying. Smith resisted when officers tried to move him towards the exit. So they tackled him, pinned him to the ground, and then took him away. The Smith family story went national after that board meeting. People called for Ziegler's resignation. Some accused the school district and Ziegler of a cover-up. In the end, it didn't matter. Here's school board chair Brenda Sheridan on August 11th, two months after that chaotic meeting. I move that the Loudoun County School Board approve and adopt policy 8040, rights of transgender and gender expansive students. It passed seven to two. Before we get back to Monica, here's what happened with the boy who sexually assaulted Smith's daughter. He was released and then was transferred to another school. Two months after he transferred in October, he assaulted another girl in a classroom. In January of 2022, he was convicted for both incidents. Here's a news report from Fox that day. And then the judge today in court said she's doing something she has never done before, which is ordering a juvenile to register as a sex offender. Before the 15-year-old was sentenced, the judge told the courtroom his psychosexual and psychological evaluations were scary and that he needs a lot of help. The Smith family is now suing the school board. This is Double Take, and we'll be right back. Because every child is unique, HSLDA is all about enabling homeschooling parents to give their children the very best educational experience possible. 
As the nation's largest homeschooling advocacy organization, HSLDA assists over 100,000 member families with the ins and outs of homeschooling law, curriculum choices, programs, and much, much more. From personalized legal advice and consultation services to financial hardship grants and practical resources, HSLDA works tirelessly to give families peace of mind, help their students thrive, and make homeschooling possible for every member. HSLDA.org About three weeks after the Loudoun County School Board passed Policy 8040 in August of 2021, the Virginia Supreme Court reinstated Cross to his teaching job, and then with ADF, he sued his own school district, again, over Policy 8040. While Cross geared up for the new lawsuit, he called Monica. She was on vacation with her family in Flathead Lake, Montana. He asked her to sign an affidavit saying that she felt she couldn't speak out against the policy without fear of retaliation. Five other teachers had already signed. After speaking to him, it was at that point that I was like, okay, this is, this is where I need to be a part of this. So on August 22nd of last year, Monica joined Tanner's lawsuit. It's still ongoing. She hopes to bring down policy 8040. She wants to be able to refuse to say things that are false, to be able to say things that are true. But for Monica, it's not just about what she can and can't say in the schools. It's about being a good teacher. Being a part of this lawsuit does have something to do with my free speech rights and my religious beliefs, but it's bigger than that. The stand that we're taking really is for these kids because as a teacher, I have a larger responsibility to do the things that are best for my students. Loudoun County stayed under the national spotlight because of its chaotic political disagreements about education policies, especially during the Virginia gubernatorial campaign in 2021. Many critics figured the Democratic candidate, Terry McAuliffe, would beat Republican Glenn Youngkin. After all, Virginia has been trending blue for years. But then McAuliffe debated Youngkin in September and said this. This audio is from NBC Washington. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. You know, You'd really think the school's debacle in Loudoun County would have discouraged Democrats from provoking parents. Apparently not. Youngkin made public education his go-to issue, hammering at Democrat policies like 80-40. Here's Youngkin calling out the Loudoun County School Board during a campaign event in October. The Department of Justice should be investigating those who covered up a heinous crime in our school. Those who are responsible must be fired or resign immediately. And of course, parents were unhappy about a lot of things at election season. Closures, masks, vaccines, standardized test performance, and there were other election talking points. But in any case, it's no coincidence that Youngkin launched his campaign by first speaking to the issue of public school education and how school boards were ignoring parents' concerns. That was something all parents, regardless of their political beliefs, could rally behind. At the start of this episode, Monica described discussing truth with her students and that girl who was struggling with her identity. When that girl graduated, she immediately friended Monica on Facebook. 
Sadly, she has since decided to outwardly transition into a male. But that honest discussion in the classroom that day is really what Monica is fighting for. The best way that we can love and respect individuals is to speak to them with the dignity of language that is true and precise and conversant with reality. And through all this, Monica is still teaching. She still loves her job and treasures her friendships with students. But sometimes she's discouraged. And sometimes she senses a kind of darkness has moved into her school. It feels hopeless. When things get really hard for Monica, she recalls something that happened a few years ago. She had moved into a new classroom and started cleaning out the mess. Her heart felt heavy. She didn't know if she could teach anymore. And then, on the bottom of a shelf, tucked away in a corner, she found a book. Pulled it out and I I dusted it off and it was a hardcover Bible. And I thought, what on earth is this doing here? And I opened it up, and on the inside cover, it was inscribed in handwriting, presented to Loudoun County High School from the class of 1955. Monica stood there in shock. She thought, look how far we've fallen. We've never seen anything in education like we're seeing today. But then another feeling washed over her. In just the quickest moment you can imagine, the Lord got a hold of my heart and just said to me, I did not give you this gift for you to judge this place. I gave you this gift so that you would know I have not abandoned this place. Monica knew then, and still believes, that she had been placed there as a teacher for a reason. God has not abandoned me. He has not abandoned our parents. He has not abandoned our kids. He has certainly not abandoned our public schools. So take heart, be of good courage, for the Lord your God is with you. Emma Purley reported and wrote this episode. Double Take is produced by the Journalism Program at Patrick Henry College with the help of the creative team at World Radio and Jeff McIntosh at Creative Genius. I'm your host, Les Sillers. For the next two weeks on Double Take, we're going to air a two-part series I hosted that first came out in the fall of 2021 on the world and everything in it. It's called The Freedom Show. Here's how it starts. The new and deadly crackdown by Kim Jong-un. Was executed in public, reportedly. Pyongyang is carrying out a purge. It says North Korea is still cheating sanctions and in... The most brutal, ruthless and dangerous dictatorship in the world has a girl band. This is the Moran Bong Band, about 20 members. You'd expect North Korean music groups to be mainly military bands performing odes to the Kim regime, soundtracks for military parades and propaganda films. These women do some of that, but they also play electric guitars and synthesizers, along with violins and cellos. They have perky hairstyles, sparkly dresses, and dance moves that are not too provocative. If a Baptist college put on a cabaret, it would look a lot like this YouTube video. It's a tune called Let's Steady. chorus goes, for those whose Korean is a little rusty, let's steady. Let's steady, let's steady. 
for the benefit of our country. And it goes downhill from there. Kim Jong-un personally selected these women after taking power in 2011. The Kim regime has for decades sent officials throughout the countryside picking out the most beautiful girls. They serve on music and dance groups and so-called pleasure teams. This band is different. The group's leader since its founding, a woman named Hyun Song-wool, is rumored to be Kim Jong-un's longtime mistress. He reportedly gave two thumbs up at the band's 2012 debut. The set list included regime favorites, but also the theme from Rocky and an unlicensed medley of Disney show tunes. Mickey Mouse, Pooh, Tigger, and other characters showed up and danced around the stage. The Magic Kingdom is apparently quite popular in the Hermit Kingdom. So why does Kim Jong-un need a girl band? The usual explanation is that this is just propaganda under a veneer of K-pop. And it is. Clearly, Kim Jong-un is trying to soften his image abroad. Maybe he just likes movie tunes. But there seems to be a bit more to it than that. In a real sense, Kim Jong-un started Moran Bong Band because he was worried about radio shows like this one. For over a decade, a tiny outfit called Free North Korea Radio has been broadcasting into North Korea via shortwave. It's produced by North Korean defectors who now live in South Korea. This is a show from 2019. Kim Ji-young is one of the defectors. Here she's reviewing a South Korean sushi roll called a kimbap. She explained that recently she took a trip by train. She didn't need an official pass to travel in South Korea. You can go where you like. She had a few minutes before the train left. So she went into a convenience store and bought this kimbap for about a buck. It came in triangular packaging and was hard to unwrap. She actually spilled rice and hot sauce on her skirt. She was so embarrassed, she wasn't sure if she was eating rice or eating embarrassment. That's a saying in Korea. But then she said that she's a brave woman. She crossed mountains and a river to escape North Korea. So she looked up how to eat the kimbap on her smartphone and bought another. Spicy beef. It was pretty good. Free North Korea Radio has been producing shows like this and many other kinds of shows since about 2005. I'm Les Sillers. Today on this special edition of The World and Everything in It, we're going to take a closer look at Free North Korea Radio. It was founded by Christians, and it's been a key player in the battle for the hearts and minds of 25 million North Koreans. The stakes could hardly be higher. North Korea has nuclear missiles, Chinese backing, and an unstable despot as leader. For 70 years, the Kim regime has survived because it blocks out information from the outside world. Now, that information blockade is crumbling. So settle in for a story about power, information, love, freedom, the risk of global conflict, and the grace of God. There's a lot more story here. That's next week. And then in two weeks, the conclusion of The Freedom Show. Thanks for listening to Double Take. Go ahead and give us a review and follow us on your favorite podcast app. And send us a note at doubletake at wng.org. We really want to know what you think about this and all our episodes. Check out some of our other episodes this season as well. If you're so inclined, share this on social media and give us